Hello and welcome into Jam Session. Glad to have whoever you are listening to us. Jam Session is Matt McLaren and Jean-Jacques Taylor. We're two guys who used to do a radio show on ESPN Radio in Dallas, Texas. We now do this podcast. We talk a lot about the Dallas Cowboys, other Dallas sports teams, and just our interests in Dallas, nightlife, stories, beer, all kinds of things. Glad to have you. Thanks for listening. Let's get going. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while, right here on the Jam Session Podcast, sponsored as always by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights that legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, though? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren. And this is Jam Session, the podcast version 349, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. We got a lot to discuss, man. We got franchise tag window has opened. We'll dive into some of that. The curious case is some of the quarterbacks in the NFL. We're going to chat with our buddy Todd Archer with ESPN. He's got the very latest, what the Cowboys are thinking on the franchise tag and some of the other things they're looking at this offseason as we are now just three weeks away from free agency as well. But before we get rolling, we always start you off letting you know about Greening Law, man. I am telling you, I am pleading with you, if you get hurt in a car accident, if you get injured on the premises of a business, if it's anything that wasn't your fault and you've got to get insurance involved and you've got all these bills piling up, you have got to place a call to Robert Greening and the Green Team at Greening Law because what they do is use their expertise to find ways to help get you taken care of. It is phenomenal and it is something that you must do because they truly do go to bat for you against these insurance companies. No, man, I think we've told you guys that the thing about Greening Law and the reason you need to ride with them is this can be kind of a tedious, complicated process. And if you're going through something like that, especially when you're fighting somebody else's insurance company, you just want somebody who's going to fight for you. Somebody's going to show you the ins and outs, where all the pitfalls are, and just kind of help you through the process. Nobody that we know of does it quite like a grinning law. So give them a call, 972-934-8900. If you're ever involved in a situation where you've got an accident, you've been hurt, give them a call. Tell them your situation. And they'll tell you, hey, if they bring you on as a client, it's been a great day. They don't get paid, literally, unless you get paid. So they're always working for you, grinding for you, trying to put you in the best situation. That's exactly right. And again, the consultation is free. If you think you've got a case, maybe you do. Why not find out? 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening. Call him now. Offices, Dallas, Texas. So I remember a couple of years ago when Dak Prescott got paid. Everybody was all pissed off. Oh, it's ridiculous. He's not a top five quarterback. He shouldn't be paid like this. What are we doing? What's going on? Blah, blah. And we, we even now you hear it sometimes. He's not a 40 million a year quarterback. Well, let me propose this to you because I don't know how many of you saw this. And, and the other day when I read this, I saw this and I was like, wait, what? Daniel Jones of the New York Giants 
is a free agent. And Daniel Jones of the New York Giants, there's a chance that maybe the Giants will put the franchise tag on him. Maybe just pay him $32 million guaranteed, 100%. Surely no other team is going to think Daniel Jones is worth two first-round picks, but who knows. But Daniel Jones has changed his agent, and he has done that with the idea and the belief that he and his team believe that he is a $45 million quarterback and that Daniel Jones should have a contract similar to, and, and again, we talked about this last time, when guys like Kyler Murray and Deshaun Watson sign contracts and they've done nothing in their careers, it doesn't matter if you think they're better than whoever it is you think they're better than. They have not done anything on the field accomplishment-wise. It allows quarterbacks, they have reset the market because now quarterbacks like Daniel Jones can point at those guys and go, I've done that. Or in the case, and keep in mind, Daniel Jones won a playoff game this year. <laughs> Kyler Murray's never won a playoff game. So Daniel Jones can point to it and go, well, Kyler Murray got $46 million. I just won a playoff game. I want $46 million. It's incredible. When I saw that, it blew my mind that we may be talking about a quarterback in Daniel Jones that could be making $45, $46 million. I'm just not paying him that, bro, because he hasn't, you know, he has no track record of success. And that's my problem with him. He just doesn't have a track record of success. Uh, he's got one good year under Brian Dayball, uh, who's a new OC uh, with his new head coach and OC with his team. And But, you know, dude, you, I'm not paying you no long-term deal off of one year of success. I need multiple years of success. Impress me. Come do it again. So I'll franchise you this year. And uh, if it makes you mad, I'm sorry. But, uh, you know, that's, what, that's how I'm rolling. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's absolutely wild when you look at this. But that's where we're at, man. And, and the reality of it is, you know, Daniel Jones can, can demand that. And if he goes out and does it again, that is what he is going to get paid. And it's interesting because this is a really weird quarterback market because the Aaron, jo- the Aaron Rodgers thing, we don't know what the deal is going to be with him. We talked about that in the last episode that apparently the Packers are completely done with this guy and they're going to find a way to move on from him. Derek Carr is out there and multiple teams, the Panthers and the Saints have expressed interest in Derek Carr, who, oh, by the way, was coming off a contract in which he made more than Dak Prescott. So, you know, he's not going to take less than what he was making before, especially when he's on the open market in demand. And then, of course, you have the Lamar Jackson situation. And and most likely that you think the Ravens franchise tag him. Maybe they can work something out. But when we talked about this and we keep telling you, and by you, I mean the generic you that listens, and we get into arguments on Twitter with, Derek Carr and Daniel Jones, and more so Derek Carr because he can't be franchise tagged. Derek Carr is a great example of what an open market quarterback is going to be able to command. Because if he can get the Saints involved and he can get the Panthers involved and they believe that they can do something with this guy, then he points at it and goes, well, I made $40.5 million last year. That's where we start. <laughs> yeah, that's how it happens, man. Um, but I'm not paying him either that much money. Uh, but what happens is, you know, this is what happens, bro. If you're the Jets, and as we told you last week, if you really think about it, they ain't had no quarterback since Joe Bur- since Joe Namath. Right. Yeah, they've had other guys. They've had Boomer Sides and Chad Pennington and some other guys. They haven't had that guy since Broadway Joe, Joe mm-hmm. Namath back in the 60s. 
So you can see why they can look at a situation and go, we actually have a pretty good team. And they can talk themselves into Derek, Derek, Derek Carr being the second coming when he's really not. Derek Carr is like a big minus quarterback to me. Um, that's about right. He's good. He's better than average. But I don't think anybody looks at Derek Carr as the guy who's taking you to the Super Bowl. And uh, to me, it'd be a bad move to sign him because up in New York, bro, when you come in as the savior, you got to be better than Derek Carr. Yeah, and, and that's where this gets weird. I mean, you look at Derek Carr throughout the course of his career. I mean, this is a dude who's going to be 32 years old next year. He's been in the league for years. You know, they went 12-3 and three with him one year, and then he got hurt at the end. And I think, if I remember right, it was like Matt McGloin or somebody that came in and won that playoff game that year or played in the playoff game that the Raiders had. Another year, he went 10-7, and seven and that's it. I mean, th this is a guy who, you know, in his career has been a 2% interception guy nothing special kind of like what you're talking about is he hasn't shown that he can lead a team even when he's had pieces around him two seasons out of however I mean he's been in the league I'm trying to think how many years he was what he was a 2014 draft picks so what is that eight years that he's been in the league now yes sir I mean you think about that or nine years whatever it is in that's what's interesting when you you go that route which is why to me like a team like the Saints and this is the Saints are kind of like the Cow and the Cowboys have gotten a little bit more fortunate. And the Saints fell into Drew Brees, obviously, after the injury he had with the Chargers for years and years. But you look at this, the Saints haven't drafted a quarterback in the first round since Archie Manning. They like the Cowboys. Yes, exactly. The Cowboys haven't drafted one in the first round since Troy Aikman. You know, it's one of those things when you look at this and you go through it like, oh, well, they had Drew Brees. But, okay, even towards the end of Drew Brees' career, when you knew that he was getting towards the end of it, they still never really planned for a future without Drew Brees. And now they've gone through, obviously, they picked up Jameis Winston, who's in nothingness. Everyone knew Taysom Hill was really not going to be a starting quarterback. Now are they, apparently, they were willing to trade with the Raiders. They were interested in Derek Carr. And you kind of look at this and go, okay, well, at, at some point, is Derek Carr the quarterback for a team that already has cap problems in, in a team like the Saints, or are they better off using a, a, an early draft pick? And, and that's what's so interesting about today's NFL. Like, to me, if a quarterback hits the free agent market, I don't know that I want to mess with that. No, because quarterbacks are so hard to find. Good ones. Why did they let you go? Yes, it's so hard to yeah. find. Like more so than any other position, what is it about you where the team that you have been with, because that tells me you're not a franchise quarterback because franchise quarterbacks are called that because they are with a franchise. They're not a journeyman quarterback. They're not a type of quarterback that one team looked at and said, man, we've had this dude for a few years and we don't think he's the franchise quarterback because if he was, we would have kept his ass. Yeah, no, I mean, that's exactly what it is, man. It's um, They're so hard to find that if you got one who can play Dallas Cowboys, you move heaven and earth to keep them because, you know, and we've, we've told you all this literally a thousand times. You can say, okay, we'll get rid of them. We'll go get our next quarterback. There's zero guarantee, brother. Yeah. Just zero. You have no idea whether uh, your boy from Alabama can play whether C.J. Stroud can play, whether Will Levias can play. You just have no idea because it ain't just about them. Maybe they can play, but they go to such a trash team with such a trash system that it ruins them for life, David Carr. 
or, you know, it's just there's so many variables involved that there's no guarantee that the guy you get can play. Even whether you take him first overall, like Baker Mayfield, or whether you take him in the second round, it's just you just have no idea. And so if you got one, you keep one because you have no idea when you can get another one. Yeah, and and that's why some of these guys, especially like, and and I don't know. I think the Giants are trying to figure out: Do we just franchise tag Daniel Jones because he yes. showed you a little something last year? I think you do, and I think like what you said earlier: you do it for the thirty-two million. There is not a team in the NFL that's going to give you two first-round picks for Daniel Jones. No. And so then you get a year to figure out: Do we want? Is this the real thing? Did he figure out something with Brian Dable? And we can use this guy, and now we're going to have to offer him that monster contract that even next offseason will blow people's minds. Or you move on from the guy, much like the Raiders finally decided to do with Derek Carr when they realized this guy is not going to get us where we want to go, which is so interesting that teams would be <coughs> that interested in a quarterback like Derek Carr who's been in the NFL as long as he has and really has no success to show for it. Like what? And, and because then, okay, you're a bridge guy. Well, how much are you willing to pay a bridge guy? And that's what's weird in today's NFL. If you're not a highly paid quarterback that a team believes they can win with or on a rookie contract, then you're basically one of these journeyman bridge guys, and that's still 30 to $35 million to get one of those guys. Yeah, man. Well, see, some of it depends on, oddly enough, who's your coach? Is your coach a brand-new coach? So he's got – three to four years to work with unless he's so bad that they fire him after first year. Is he a guy who's like Robert Sala in his third year? And he's like, I got to win now or they're going to move me out of here. Mm. I'm going to take a bridge guy because I can't wait for a young guy. You know, it depends on your coaching situation and how hot that's, that dude's seat is as to what kind of quarterback he wants and what kind of quarterback he'll accept. Yeah, that's true. And, and, I think that's where it's going to be interesting to see. It, it, it feels like the big domino that everybody is waiting for in terms of that market, and this will affect free agency, you got to think, is the Aaron Rodgers, what the hell are the Packers doing and where is he going? And then after that, you look at, okay, what's Derek Carr going to do? Are the Ravens, I, I'd be shocked if the Ravens let Lamar Jackson go anywhere, at least this offseason. And like we just talked about, the whole deal with Daniel Jones, where you just figure out a way to tag him and keep him around. It, it goes both ways, much like what I expect the Cowboys are going to do with with Tony Pollard, you know, and, and even Geno Smith, like Geno Smith is going to be weird because you look at Geno Smith and you go, OK, all of a sudden, Geno Smith in the offense that Seattle put around him in this play action, a lot of boots and stuff like that up there in Seattle. And he has DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. He was really good this past season through for over 4,000 years led the NFL in, in completion percentage at almost 70%. But you go, where has this dude been? Like what, how in the world is this version of Geno Smith just now showing up and the Seahawks are going to have to find a way to keep that guy around. And, and what kind of a number would a guy like that command? I think, uh, you know, that's interesting. Uh, what kind of number he wants? Cause I think his is just a case of maturity and finally got a chance and, He's so happy to be a starting quarterback on a team who wants him after his career. You might be able to get him for a reasonable number, a fair number, but a reasonable number. Like, yo, bro, you know, 32 a year or whatever, because it's still going to be considerably more than he's ever made. I mean, but think about that 32 a year for Geno Smith. But people are pissed Dak's making 40. 40. 
Yeah, maybe like you know Baker Mayfield if he if he goes to a team, what's he get? What's he getting? Twenty five. But just think about it. No yeah, then you what. got. I forgot. Yes, there's another one. I mean, it is. It, it's. I mean, it's really interesting. I mean, you think about a guy like Geno Smith who flamed out, and everybody does the Jets. Probably not his fault. Four years goes to the Giants for a year, nothing. Goes to the Chargers for a year, nothing. People forget it's not like Geno Smith just arrived in Seattle. This was his third year in Seattle. He had been backing up Russ the last couple of seasons. And just because they decided not to draft a quarterback, they bring in Drew Locke. Geno Smith wins the job. And at 32 years old in his ninth NFL season, all of a sudden it's like, well, this is who we thought we were drafting nine years ago <laughs> with the Jets. I mean, it is. It, it's, I don't know, man. It's, uh, it depends on what, what motivates you. Like if I'm Geno Smith, really, I'm probably more because if I'm Geno Smith, I'm probably more motivated by opportunity than anything else mm-hmm. because there's not much at twenty-seven million or thirty million dollars a year that I'm not going to be able to buy if I make thirty-four million dollars a year. Right. And so yes, you get into a respect thing, but at some point, sometimes you just want opportunity. Like yo, I'll take this opportunity and. Uh, you know, because it's probably we're not talking like he's just getting a one year deal. So, you know, maybe you get three year deal at thirty three a year with most of it guaranteed. Okay, you've now it took you nine years, but now you've got your generational wealth and you straight. Right. But you got the opportunity, which is more important. Yeah, and, and and keep in mind Jimmy Garoppolo is gonna be out there. He is available. Sam Darnold is out there, he is available and you know, Sam Darnold strikes it. He strikes me more as like the Colt McCoy type guy who might just like stick in the league for forever and we forget about him and he's just around where he can kind of come in and, and, and you don't mind if he's on the team. You know, Garoppolo's interesting because you got to think he believes he can still be a starter. Is there a team out there that, that wants to invest going into year 10, a 32-year-old guy like Jimmy Garoppolo who is solid yet not spectacular, I would say? Some people love arguing that they'd rather have him than Dak. That's fine. I, that's not going to happen, obviously. But it, it, it's just this is a really interesting market for free agent quarterbacks because there's several names that people know, some that are coming off of some success and where they're going to wind up, what the money is going to cost, and then the strategy of other teams to be like, okay, we don't want you, Derek Carr or Jimmy Garoppolo. We would rather take the flyer and see if we hit on the Will Levis at number nine or whatever it is in Carolina. Yeah, it's um, you know, it's all about you know the other thing, man, is is when you're talking starter, bridge, backup, is how's the guy gonna handle if if the young guy's got to play? Is he gonna be helpful? Is he gonna be a deterrent? Is he just gonna be yeah, you do your thing, I do mine. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of that is is goes into your factor but i am curious why you think uh why you think sam donald is that guy who can just kind of chill and hang around for so long i I, because i don't think he's absolute god-awful trash like he he just strikes me as somebody who can be you know the marcus Mariota of the world type guy and, and and he wasn't good in his starts last year for the panthers i get it so maybe i'm off here but I just kind of wonder if he's the type of guy who can just hang for a few years as just a backup guy. And, and okay, we need you to come in for – and I'm talking like the kind of guy, kind of like a Chase Daniel or a Colt McCoy, where he is just the dude who goes behind the star and just behind the next young up-and-coming guy, you know, behind the Aaron Rodgers of the world. Yeah, makes sense. It's uh, That's one of the big decisions you got to make. 
I mean, even your Dallas Cowboys, you good with Cooper Rush, or do you think you could go upgrade by this developmental guy? You don't have to get somebody in the seventh round. You don't have to. You can get somebody who could really play. Yeah, I agree. I mean, could really play. It, it, to me, if you're going to draft a quarterback and, and and you want a legitimate shot of having a guy that you think you can develop, then doing it late in the draft is pointless. Unless you've got somebody who is just beating down the door for you, like the Patriots guy did for Tom Brady, of you need to draft this dude or I'm quitting. You know, people, it, right. it's right. you know, like that type of thing. Like, holy hell, okay, fine, we'll draft the guy if you buy into him that much. Like, I'm, I'm not convinced Brock Purdy is the... Like, everybody just thinks Brock Purdy is the starter next year in San Francisco. I'm not convinced of that at all. I mean, Trey Lance wasn't cheap for them to acquire, and I don't know why they would just eat Trey Lance when Kyle Shanahan obviously really believed in what Trey Lance could do. True, true, true. So we shall see what happens. And again, keep in mind, as we have said all along, as teams acquire more tape on guys, is Brock Purdy of, oh, we only have a little bit of collection of tape... Is that Brock Purdy that we saw at the very end of this year going to show up and be able to do that again next year for the 49ers? $64,000 question. Yeah, for them. Yeah. Who knows? That it's there's a there's just a lot of quarterback intrigue this year because of the free agents, because this is a draft class again in which there are going to be four dudes taken in the first round, and they are going to go high. And I find that odd where I raise my eye, especially at Anthony Richardson. Will Levis, we'll see. C.J., Stroud, Bryce Young, those four guys are going to go in the first round, all four of them. And this Probably. this draft reeks to me because, well, you know, because I actually think, like, I, just based on what we saw in college, C.J., Stroud, and Bryce Young, to me, I can see them turning out. But when you look at this, if you guys will remember back, I think it was just doing this off the top of my head, I believe it was the 20, no, maybe it was the, wait, what year was that? Was that the Cam Newton draft? Was that 2011? I think so. Yeah, it was. It was a 2011 draft where Cam Newton goes number one overall, and we all forget about this. Jake Locker goes number eight to Tennessee, Blaine Gabbert number 10 to Jacksonville, and Christian Ponder number 12 to Minnesota. And this class to me it just feels like they're like, especially with Will Levis and Anthony Richardson, that they're trying to make these guys into more than what we saw from them in college. Much like that 2011 draft class where Cam Newton was a bona fide star, a legit franchise quarterback. I think Bryce Young and CJ Stroud may be, but man, the, the, what is the rush to make some of these kids? And we all know this with quarterbacks, but I, I just like all of a sudden the stuff that you saw from them in college is magically going to develop and grow and they'll not make those mistakes or develop something that we haven't seen. And maybe they do. I don't know, but this, I don't know why, but this draft kind of, I wonder if we're going to see that locker Gabbert ponder where people are going, what the hell? Those guys are top 12 picks. And sure enough, they weren't. Well, who don't you believe in Anthony Richardson? I don't believe in Anthony Richardson at all. And Will Levis is one where I kind of raise an eyebrow for sure. All right, now how come you don't believe in Richardson? He can't throw. He's horrible. He has no accuracy. Oh. But, you know, you might be able to tell you. He's got an arm. The dude's got like a bazooka for an arm. He's like one of those dudes that can stand flat-footed and throw at the length of the football field. But if you don't get it to your receiver, what difference does it make? All right. Now, is he – I'm just asking because I haven't really watched him play. Uh, is he inaccurate like Josh Allen was inaccurate? No, he's worse than that. Okay. But he, he, he's he got that electric. He does stuff that nobody else can do, kind of like a Lamar Jackson in that sense of like joystick-type football, you know what I mean? Right. Where he can just turn the corner and he's gone. 
you know, and so if you if you have you bring some of those elements in, can he have the ability to be so explosive that you feel like you can help develop? You know, he he's a a one read and gone guy because he could be, right? And and I mean, I I don't know that in high school it ever changed. Why would it? And then at Florida, you know, you saw that a lot where he would just bail and he would just be gone. Like seventy yards later, they'd catch him from behind or have the <laughs> angle on him. And you're like, right. God, man. And he did have a couple of good games. So I think you well, see flashes, but you wonder, like passing-wise, I mean, and you see flashes and you go, he was just so damn inconsistent. Is there a way to, to teach that consistency? And maybe there is. Okay, so now this never happens, but I, I, I was trying to remember what I read. And so this is what I read. It never happens, but this is what I read. Uh, if some team will take him and put him on the shelf for a couple years – They'll have a guy. But I said that never happens because as soon as, it, right. as soon as your team starts losing, you go, yeah, let's turn it over to a young guy, see what he's got. Yeah, and that's part of the problem is, you know, like Carolina is a great example. What if he goes number nine to Carolina and he's the fourth quarterback taken? Well, you're still a top ten pick. You're still a dude that everybody's going to be looking at going, okay, we brought Sam Darnold back, and yeah, he's not the guy. Hey, man, I know it's only week seven. Let's get Anthony Richardson in there, and he is not ready at all. No, no, no. I mean, it's, that's what happens. Um, you know, because guys get drafted high. They don't get drafted low where they can sit for right behind Aaron Rodgers or some other good quarterback. So, you know, that's that's the life, that's the life that, uh, that it is. That's the way it works for big-time quarterbacks. Yeah, and, and he is he's a guy that just last year at Florida, I just looked at this up, he was a 53.8% passer. 53.8 in college, huh? Yeah. That's not good. That's not good at all. But again, you know, as far as, as running, 103 for 654, that's 6.3 a, a carry, which is what Lamar Jackson averaged in college. But Jackson, Jackson, like when Lamar came out, he wasn't the most accurate of passers, but he was more accurate than, than and, Anthony Richardson is. And Bobby Petrino is a pro-style passing offense. So, you know, at right. least he got that tutelage and training. Yeah, so I, I just, man, I just, I don't know. There's, like, a couple of years ago, I there was no way in hell I thought Zach Wilson would have, I thought he was going to bust. And I, if, I just, unless some team wants to sit on him like Jordan Love, then I, I don't see it for Anthony Richardson. All right. So we'll see. I mean, what do I know? I'm not Todd McShay or Mel Kuyper. I mean, whatever. Who knows? <laughs> They don't know either. I know. That's the thing. So as we continue, we got some stuff to get to here around the block. Let's tell you about JR. His guys over there at Freeway Tire Shop, have you enjoyed the brilliance of JR? Have you gone to Freeway Tire Shop and you're like, my God, this is a mechanic? I trust. I feel comfortable. Oh, my God. The customer service. What am I at? A Chick-fil-A? This is amazing. That's the level that you can expect from Freeway Tire Shop. They do it right. They stand behind their work. You can trust what the guy says. He's offering you a fair price, and they do all that, and they, the customer service, you just do not experience stuff like this from mechanics ever, anywhere. No, man. Now, he was trained by uh, Home Depot's management team, and that's where he took his, uh, his customer service cues from. But once you get over there, man, and you take your car, I tell everybody, if your mechanic doesn't do all the stuff that JR and Freeway Tire does, then just go to JR and Freeway Tire because why would you settle for less? And what they do is, man, you can trust that he's going to diagnose what's wrong with your car and then use quality parts to fix it. That's number one and number two. Then you can trust he's going to charge you a fair price and then stand behind his work. 
That's number three and number four. So if your mechanic is not doing those four things regularly, then drive up the road, 35 north toward Denton. Get off at uh, Commonwealth. It's about five minutes from downtown. Go through the light. He's right there on the right. You can't miss him. And uh, service is phenomenal. Work is phenomenal. And he's the mechanic you need to go to. That's exactly right. It's JR. It's Freeway Tire Shop. His crews, his guys, they are going to get you taken care of. So make it happen. Freeway Tire Shop. You can find out more, of course, online. You can, if you'd like, you can request a quote, schedule an appointment right there online. Also, of course, Smokey John's Barbecue. And we tell you guys this all the time. If you've got to go and you're going to drop off your car at JR's, you can just take an Uber. It's, it's less than five minutes away from Freeway Tire Shop. So you drop off your car, you take it over there, let JR work on it, do what he's got to do. You say, hey, JR, I'm going to go grab some barbecue at Smokey John's. I'll be back in about an hour or so. JR, like, all right, cool, I got you. You roll over to Smokey John's Barbecue. You order up that jam session bowl, and you just enjoy life. And you smile to yourself, and you go, damn. Not only did I just experience the best customer service in the history of mechanics, I am eating perhaps the best bowl, the best food in the history of barbecue at Smokey John's. Well, hell yeah. And that's because, man, the jam session bowl is phenomenal. It's either macaroni and cheese or mashed potato base, your choice of two out of five smoked meats. Your boy usually rocks with the sausage and the brisket, although I have been known to throw the chicken in there instead. And then, man, they put all the stuff that you put on a uh, baked potato, loaded baked potato, you know, the chives, you know, the butter, mm-hmm. you know, the sour cream, you know, um, the cheese. I mean, it's mm, yeah. one big beautiful mess it is yeah then they drizzle that sauce on it that's right and uh hey it's to live for man it's phenomenal it is phenomenal feeds too easy and if you got a kid with you as long as they're about six or seven it can literally feed three no cap make it happen man smoky john's barbecue it's local it's family owned juan and brent the brothers that own it they're gonna get you set up they're listeners they enjoy it so swing by and surprise everybody when you order off the secret menu and get the jam session bowl and don't forget you can also look for their sauce uh, available in the hebs i know up in frisco and some of the newer hebs that are in the area so check it out and if you don't live in the area like me you can always jump online a great way to support them which supports us anywhere you live jump online to smokyjohns.com and click on Smokey's Market and you can order the sauce or the rub and they will deliver it to you wherever you are because I've got some and I've talked about this before. There are times where we'll get we'll get barbecue just from places around Birmingham and I I use the Smokey John's barbecue sauce on it because you can't beat their barbecue sauce, man. I mean, it is it is the elite of the elite in the world of barbecue sauces, in my opinion. Yeah, fantastic, brother. I'm a huge fan of it, so make that happen. So this trip around the block quick here. We'll get to Todd Archer momentarily. You guys know that I read a lot, and I told you last year how I had gotten into the Gray Man books and the Orphan X books about the covert secret assassin, like high level, the badass of the world. Yes. Well, if you are a fan of those series, a week ago, Orphan X, The Last Orphan, released i am currently reading it it is phenomenal as you might imagine it's so phenomenal that i stayed up till almost 1 a.m last night reading it (laughs) i could not i could not put it down man i got it two days ago and i'm almost done with it i just can't put it down i have to force myself to put it down and then like any waking moment i get a chance to be like oh i could be reading while i'm also doing this and, and wow. then on what it's today, Tuesday, today, February 21st, as we record this. So by the time you guys hear this, it's out, it's available. 
the new Gray Man book just released. And I'm stoked for this because I'm a huge fan of that book series as well. And obviously, I mean, it just came out today and I'm going to finish up Orphan X and then I can guarantee you, my guarantee to you is by the time one week from today, I will have finished both of these books easy. I'll have finished both of them by, by this weekend. So we'll see how that goes. But The Gray Man, of course, Netflix had that huge movie that was released based on kind of the first book that came out right. last July and the new book series, uh, or not series, but the newest book was released today, which is kind of awesome. No, sounds like it. I, uh, I was going to give it another shot. I didn't. I went through some of the Orphan X book, but I, it didn't really catch a hold of me. So I was going to give it a shot uh, during the spring when I got a little more time. Yeah, the newest Gray Man book is called Burner, and I'll right. see what it's about. It says Court Court Gentry is caught between the Russian mafia and the CIA in the new novel from the new king of the electrifying nonstop action thriller. So that'll oh, be great. Damn. That's a tough spot to be caught in. It is, man. But I am very much looking forward to this and the badass that is. You know what? Maybe I'll watch the Gray Man movie right before I read this book because I haven't seen it again. I watched it when it came out in July, and that's one I wouldn't mind putting on and seeing the action again because I thought it was fantastic. I was a big fan. A big fan. Definitely a lot of uh, action. So whatever, if you enjoy reading books, perhaps you will enjoy those. The other thing is... We still got a couple of weeks until the Oscars, and some people care about them and some people don't. But as I've mentioned before, we always enjoy watching the Oscar-nominated movies. And we just finished our eighth Best Picture nominee of the year, so we only have two more Best Picture. No, we have three more. We finished our seventh, and we're going to watch one, I think, maybe tonight. But we watched The Fablemans, which is a movie directed and written by Steven Spielberg that is an autobiographical film about his youth from when he was a little kid leading through high school. Now, the names are changed. They're not called the Spielbergs. They're called the Fablemans. But it's interesting because I was like, well, I wonder how much of this is true and how much of this actually really happened. And pretty much everything in the movie is straight from Steven Spielberg's experiences growing up and what he dealt with. He said he'd always wanted to do a movie about his early years, but was afraid of how his parents would receive it Because he, and you'll see if you watch the movie, I mean, obviously, I mean, we all like, as you get older, you might see some things your parents did that you enjoyed and you're like, I definitely want to do that. You may see some other things where you're like, you know what? I don't want to do that with my kids. And I think you kind of get that from this movie a little bit, but it is a filmmaking masterpiece. It will blow your mind. and, And I mean, it makes sense that it would blow your mind. It's Steven Spielberg. But his, you just get the idea and and you finally understand why Steven Spielberg's probably the greatest filmmaker of all time. And it started probably when he was like seven years old. It's incredible. Jeez. Because he goes to a movie, his parents take him to a movie. The first movie he ever saw in the theater was The Great Train Escape or whatever it's called. Yeah. From 1952, I think it was. And it blew his mind, and he started trying to recreate some of the things he saw in that movie, and they got him a little camera, and then from then on, like his whole life was spent just trying to find ways to tell stories. It's incredible. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and it is, because the lead dude who plays, you know, basically the guy that Steven Spielberg is supposed to be in the movie, I forget the actor's name, he said that he asked Steven Spielberg on set, you know, so how much of this is true. How much of this did you really experience? And Steven Spielberg said all of it. Wow. 
So it, it's kind of interesting to see somebody, you know, how his parents were with him and how his upbringing were and his sisters. He has three younger sisters, how he was. He kind of built himself into, I mean, the stuff he was doing, he's like an eighth grade, a freshman in high school, whatever. The creativity that he used to make movies with his friends blew my mind for somebody at that age. But he just had that. It, it, I mean, it, it's you watch this and you go, well, no wonder this dude made Jaws and Close Encounters and Indiana Jones and E.T. and so on and so forth and, and Saving Private Ryan. I mean, my God, he's doing it when he's 14. Now he just has the budget for it. Damn. Wow. Sounds good. It's it's really good. It's two and a half hours long. And I got to tell you, it does not feel that long. It's a real it's a family story that tells it, it's. And I'll say this because I still believe that Everything Everywhere All at Once is the best movie I've seen this year, but this is right up there with it. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if this movie wins Best Picture. I would imagine it probably wins him another Best Director. But it's just, I mean, it's, it's wild the things that happened in his life that that pushed him on this direction of where he is and it, it, it ends while he's in high school basically so you know it doesn't show like the few years from when he graduated to where he before he made dune or you know even jaws in 1975 and was working on stuff like that but so uh, what's the deal were his parents crazy or something his mom might have been a little crazy i mean like legit it it, it, it kind of comes away in the film that his mom might have had a little crazy to her but also she just really embraced his art and his belief in wanting to do something different. And his dad was more, his dad called it a hobby all the time. And he get irritated, like, it's not my hobby. And he goes, well, this is your hobby. And we're not going to spend all this money on a hobby when you need to be focusing on these other things. That is what you're going to be doing for a living. You know, so I <laughs> guess like in that sense, you know, but uh, now we would all watch it and look at it and go, my God, I mean, can't believe his dad. Come on, man. This is the greatest director of all time. But when the kid's 14, you know, doesn't want to focus on homework because he wants to go out and dig holes in the ground so that he can work on this film that he's trying to put together. You could see where the dad might be like, you know, let, let's let's focus on what we need to do here. No, I get that. But man, you just I mean, Steven Spielberg incredible and it's really well written it's really well directed it's such a great story it's a really really good movie and it's cool because i think all of us know steven spielberg and it's cool to see his vision of what he was as a kid and how much he wanted to become what he ended up being no i'm i'm down with that totally you know and you think about this guy who it's wild to think that this is a dude who has only two best director awards has been nominated six other times and you know he like forever and i don't remember how many people would, would remember this but when schindler's list came out in the early 90s was that 93 94 you know think of all the movies that he had directed before that and he had he had never won best director and then he wins it for schindler's list and then five years later wins it for saving private ryan and he hadn't won since damn you know, he didn't win for Lincoln. He didn't win for The Post or Ready Player One or West Side Story. Never won for any of the Indiana Jones movies. Never won for any, you know, he directed Jurassic Park. <laughs> People forget that. Right. You know, he directed Hook. He did the, or not, he didn't direct it, but he, what, he produced it or he wrote the story, whatever it was. Um, you know, you think E.T., Jaws, Close Encounters. I mean, all these great movies over the years. 
And now to see he's 76 years old, I don't know. It's crazy to me. I'm a big yeah, fan of most old? of his movies. Yeah, he's 76, yeah. Oh, he's at the end of the road. Yeah, you would think so. Maybe that's why he finally did this movie, kind of his, yeah. his the story of his parents and who he was. Because both his parents lived till they were over 100, so he may have another 25 years to go. Oh, well, both of his parents went over there. Yeah, he may. I mean, that is... Yeah, because his dad died just a couple of years ago, like at the age of 103 or something like that. And I didn't know this until, and it doesn't say this in the movie, so I'm not ruining anything. His dad is credited with inventing the first computer-driven cash register, like point-of-sale point cash register. Mm, how about that? Like, yeah, and his dad is like some genius guy that was, you know, worked early on when IBM was first founded and all that. So he got a little bit of it from that, but... You know, you think about it, only three directors ever have won three or more Best Director Oscars, and there's a lot of thought that Spielberg will get his third this year to join William Wyler and Frank Capra, and then, of course, the great John Ford, who won four, that directed some of those those great, great movies from, well, what were considered great movies, you know, back in the day, like uh, Grapes of Wrath, like the original version of that, and The Quiet Man, if anybody ever knows what that is from 1952, but... Uh, be interesting to see. But yeah, The Fablemans. I, I highly recommend it if you are a fan of high-quality cinema. Mm. So that leaves us with Avatar, Women Talking, and Tar are the only three movies that we have not seen out of the nominees this year. And we're going to check out Tar, and then we'll, we'll see. Because Avatar, I don't know if they're going to release that on video before the Oscars or not. And I'm not going to the theater to see that. So Yeah, me either. I don't know what to tell you. I'm not about sitting in a movie theater that long. <laughs> that's just my thing man not when i can watch it at home friends just being honest with all of you also of course hfx foundation solutions making this possible hfx aaron and his crews man if you get a chance you got to get them out if you see cracks if you see sticking doors soil wash out that could be your foundation be like hey man you might have a problem here you want to get aaron out here check me out make sure i'm good it's not like your house is going to have polyps or something it, it has sticking doors and cracks. That is its warning sign to you. They can take care of your drainage. They take care of your gutter installations with HFX Foundation Solutions. So give them a call. It's a free, no obligation inspection. Nah, man. You know, we say the whole colonoscopy joke just because it's all about your insides. Well, that's what Aaron and his team do, man. They come out and check your house's insides and make sure everything's good. Make sure you got the peace of mind that comes from knowing there's nothing going on inside your house that you don't know about internally. So that you got peace of mind. And who doesn't want peace of mind, bro? I like peace of mind. Yeah, I like it too. I like it a lot. So check them out. It is HFX Foundation Solutions, 817-770-0174 or online at hfxfoundation.com. All right, let's check in with our ESPN NFL Nation Cowboys reporter, Todd Archer, joining us. And Arch, we're recording this here on February 21st. The franchise tag period has opened what are your expectations for the Cowboys here and how they will use the franchise tag this season? If they're going to use it, it will only be used on Tony Pollard. Um, if they use it, it will be used on March 7th, the last day of, in my mind, of uh, the day you can use the tag because there's no reason to use it now. Um, they'll, they'll meet with his agent, Kennard McGuire, in Indianapolis at the Combine, see where they are on a multi-year deal and then go forward from there. And look, how do I – I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that they use the tag at all, to be honest with you. 
Now, if they don't, then you're really starting over at the running back position because the last time I was on with y'all, I, I said I don't think Zeke will be on the team. Mm. So if you're not going to keep Zeke and you're not tagging Pollard, that tells you he's going to go to the open market and sign with somebody else for more than what the Cowboys are going to pay. So you're, you're looking at a whole new basic, basically a whole new running back room in 2023. So, but I, I think they'll do their best. Eh, that's that's not the right phrase. They'll do what they can to get a long-term deal done before March seventh, and I think ultimately they'll they'll put the tag on them. What uh, I read something today that I hadn't seen before that indicated that they thought uh, it might he might not be ready at the start of the season. Is that what you're hearing? Who told you that? Who reported that? I don't want to say it because it's somebody I like, but I thought it was strange when I read it, so I figured I'd run it past you. No, he should be ready by the starter. He should be ready before the starter training camp. Okay, that's what I thought so I had. The, been the way it was—that's the way it's been related to me. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, the, the fibula heals on its own. The surgery was to tighten up the link, ligaments on the high ankle sprain. That was something that Ryan Tannehill had. Heck, was something that Tua had in Alabama and came back and played um, in a short amount of time. So I, I would be stunned if he's not more than ready to go by the time the season starts. But it was somebody stunned. Jacques likes, so hmm. Well, there's only, yeah, that's, that's like not, three people. I, know. So I don't know. I what saying, it's not very many people. Surely it yeah. wasn't any of them. So I don't know. Like I said, it was just weird when I read it, so I figured out. Yeah, that, that was, the, I mean, and maybe I'll I read double it check on it and get back to y'all, but I, 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 that would surprise me. Okay. All right. So when you look at Dalton Schultz, who got tagged last year, is it just foregone conclusion he's gone? I don't know. The morning news is writing so many stories on him. I think he's like a Pro Bowl superstar player. <laughs> it's just me. I mean, I read, I, um, I, mean, I, I read a story the again. other day that's like 50 inches. It said, hey, he dropped a pass, and so he stayed after practice to make sure he wouldn't drop another one. Yeah, no, wow. no, no one does that. Um, <laughs> wait a minute, did we say that out loud? Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's a foregone conclusion that he's gone because, look, it's $13 million to tag him again this year um, after tagging him last season. Uh, they never really got close on a long-term deal. Um, it, it, I, this is just one of those things that disappears to be the writings on the wall that he's going to get something from from somebody else that's more than the Cowboys want to pay. The Cowboys like their two young tight ends in, in um, Jake Ferguson and Peyton Hendershot. They, this is a strong draft class for tight ends. Uh, honestly, I can see Dalton Schultz ended up in the Chargers and following – Kellen Moore out there and being Justin Herbert's security blanket after being Dak's security blanket the last few years. So um, I, I think it's, yeah, I think he'll be playing somewhere else and the Cowboys will draft a tight end in, a, in what is considered a, draft, a strong draft class of tight end. What do you think about Doug Schultz? Good player? Great player? Average player? What? Well, aren't good and average the same thing? That's where I struggle. I say he's a good no, player. I, I you don't think, think average is good? Then no, I, th I think average is. I, I use the. It's like a if you're in school, C is average, and B is good, to me, and A is excellent. Okay, then he's good. I guess. 
Um, I, I would say he's a B player. Um, yeah. You know, he can he can make enough plays for you. There are some things he wish he could do better, but he's solid. Solid, right? Solid is good, right? Yes, he's solid. Solid good? Let's see, solid is like average to me, though, because you're solid. C is solid. If I got a C in algebra, a that was, man, But a C is not – I don't know if a C is solid. A C barely gets you eligible in high school sports these days, so I don't know if that's average. Yeah, all right. Now he's a B going, regardless, he's he's good. Okay, he's average to good. How about that? Like he's right in that mix. Um, okay. And again, is that a guy that you give thirteen million a year to play that position? I I, no. I don't know. Uh, I you know I, I and it, and considering the Cowboys didn't do it last year, I don't know if there was anything that really happened in twenty twenty two to say well. You got to go out of your comfort zone now and keep them. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I just think this is a yeah. It, it was a five-year relationship. It worked well for both sides. He moves on to a to his next team. The Cowboys move on to some someone else without and and without him. No, I think I'm I'm good with that. Yeah, I mean, I think he was a uh, what do you call it? Um, he's a good draft pick and a good player for him, but he's not a difference maker in the sense of people at his position like the Kittles or the upper echelon guys. And so I don't want to pay him anywhere close to what those guys are getting. Right. And and to me, to me a more interesting case, what do you do with Donovan Wilson? Like we talked about Tony and the franchise tag, but you know, Donovan Wilson's a pretty valuable player in my, in my mind and how they, how these guys play and how important it is to have the three safeties. And I'm not talking about franchise tag. It was that 14 and a half million bucks for, for a safety. I'm I'm not doing that, but what's the price that you'd pay to keep a guy like that and, and knowing how important he is to your defense? I think that's going to be interesting to see how the Cowboys a, approach that one. And they've not been a, a team that's gone for – they've not – when's the last safety they paid? Was it Ken Hamlin? It took them, took them a while to pay Sensabaugh. It took them like, – he had like three, three one-year deals before they paid him. Um, so, uh, yeah. Donovan Wilson's a pretty valuable commodity in that defense, in my mind. Here's my approach on that. You got Dan Quinn. They really like Dan Quinn. So I think they give Dan Quinn more leeway on the decision-making deal and who we should keep and who we shouldn't and who we should pay and all that stuff. So I think there's more leeway than ever for that. But as 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 um, my own general manager, I like to pay guys who bring something that's extra to the table. And what Donovan Wilson brings is everybody knows he will bust your ass. And for the number of snaps he plays, he creates turnovers. Some guys create turnovers. Some guys don't. It's just an innate skill. And he's a guy and who will with, bring the – go ahead. Well, yeah, and you were just about to say it for a guy who brings the wood, right? That's what you are about to say? Yeah. yeah. How long does a guy like that last? Like how many years does he have left in him? That you, you know, you'd feel comfortable, and, and it might just be three. So, is a three-year deal something oh, that think, you'd consider? So, you know, all that yeah, goes I mean, into the equation. I think if you could come up with a four-year deal that's really three to make it a little easier on a cap, because he's a human missile. Um, you know, he's going to be broke up and beat up, uh, but that's the way he plays. And there's not a lot of cats like that to me. You know, we haven't yeah. seen a lot of cats like that in Dallas, and so to me, he's a valuable piece because. I mean, dude, it's just we've, – we've seen it over the years. Some cats create turnovers and some cats don't. And for a long time, this team had, just didn't have guys who did. 
And when you have several of them, then what? You end up with leading, being amongst the league leaders in turnovers. He had five, and he had five sacks last year. It led all NFL defensive backs. I think it was the most that ever by a Cowboys defensive back since uh, Bill Bates in like 80-something. So, he, you know, he, he got the, the turnovers. He got sacks. He's a good tackler. He led the team in tackles. So he can do a lot of different things for you. And, and really, the Cowboys' base defense is a three-safety look. So, you know, Hooker will be back. Jaron Curse will be back. You'd like to keep him. But he might be a you know a guy that gets more than the Cowboys are willing to pay. There's going to be a lot of that. I think are we repeating that uh, during this this discussion. But he he's a guy that that has earned his pay and, and has played well and has been everything he wanted to be. And we talk about the Cowboys like or, or they talk about themselves as a draft and develop team. Well, at some point you got to draft and develop for yourself and keep these guys at some point and. Yeah. You know, there's going to be – I wish I had my media guide in front of me. How many guys are going to be left from the 2019 draft class now? Like, Tristan Hill's already gone. You know what I mean? Like, so, as well as they draft, you want to keep some of those guys. I don't know what the percentage is. You want to keep some of those guys on second second contracts and not just, ah, well, let's just buy another year on the guy – and see what he can do because he had extenuating circumstances. There's got to be some guys that you're building around in this dra- in these drafts that they've had lately that have been pretty good. True that. True that. Yeah, and to you your point, like Tony Pollard. Yeah, like Pollard and Wilson would be the only two left if they are going to move on from Connor McGovern. Otherwise, if they want to keep him around, you'd have three from that draft class in 2019 if they kept those three, obviously. That's right, and, and Connor McGovern's another one. I'd keep him. Like, I think there's so many people that think – around here because their success in the offensive line has been built on first round picks. You can actually, it's, it, it's proven. Um, <laughs> you can actually have good offensive lines and you don't have five first round picks. It, it actually works. I think Connor McGovern, well, again, however you want to describe it, solid, good, average, whatever, had a pretty decent year at left guard for the Cowboys and allowed them to do some things when Tyron Smith got hurt and you moved Tyler Smith out to left, left tackle. And look, at the start of the season, let, let's say Tyron never got hurt. I bet you on week one, Connor McGovern would have been this team's starting left guard over Tyler Smith. I, I, I would almost guarantee you that that would have happened based on what we saw in the preseason and in training camp, that they might have platooned, but the first guy that was going to be rolled out there was Connor McGovern which is crazy to think about now when you saw what Tyler Smith did at left tackle as a rookie. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. When you look at this upcoming draft, and obviously we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks, but just as we sit here today in late February, do you look at this almost in a sense of what they did a couple years ago in 2021 where their first six picks were all defensive guys? Do they need to kind of have that philosophy high in the draft on the offensive side of the football this year? Um. Probably. I mean, it's funny, like, I'll, I'll say yes, but then I can make a case for, well, they're going to need a cornerback because Anthony Brown's a free agent, Jordan Lewis is hurt. Uh, you don't know how long Diggs is going to be around uh, after a couple more years. Uh, then Kelvin Joseph, should he really be around here? And then Deron Bland. So, heck, I, I just made a case that you're taking a cornerback pretty early. Let's look at a defensive end. That You know, you can make a case. You got to have some defensive ends around here. Demarcus Lawrence isn't going to be playing forever. 
Are, are they going to commit to Micah as a full-time defensive end? Maybe they've done that and not told us about it. Doris Armstrong's contract's going to be coming up. Dante Fowler's a free agent. Um, you know, Chauncey Golson is probably more of a tackle than an end. So I just made a case for a defensive end. How about linebacker? Leighton Vandrash, he could be gone in free agency. Anthony Barr, I don't see him being back. The Cowboys clearly don't have the confidence yet in Jabril Cox to be anything more than a special teams guy. Well, Damone Clark, he did a good job coming back from that neck injury. But is he ready to handle a full-time? Well, I just made a case that he can draft a linebacker. So I, I hate to do the you take the best player available, but you do take the best player available. But I think you do have a lean because they need a running back, they need a receiver. Depending on what they do with Dak, they could need a quarterback at least for developmental purposes or is one day take over for Dak whenever they're ready to move on. Um, and then offensive line and then tight end. So I just covered every position to cover my book. That was a hell of a job by me right there. <laughs> yeah, I didn't come up with kicker or punter. I didn't come up with kicker or punter. <laughs> well, I mean, you can make a case they need a kicker too. So, not that you right. would. You I'm, know. Not, I'm not going to use an early draft pick on one. No, but, no, but, but, no, but see, no. like, I mean, we joke about it, but like, if you're, hopefully, the Cowboys had that same conversation that we just had, right? Because you can in, say, "Hey, they got a lean offense and all this stuff," but I can just make a case. You can make cases for every other other deal. So, um, it's and that's probably not dissimilar to, to most years if we're, if we're being honest because you have to prepare for the future. The draft isn't just about 2023. It's about 24, 25, 26, 27 and what you got coming up. So, um, But yeah, I, I would like aside from corner on defense because you're not going to get one in free agency that's going to be really worth a darn, right? Because you're not going to spend money. I would say you need a receiver. You need a receiver. You need a tight end. You need a running back. Like, receiver, and especially if you don't try, uh, put the tag on Pollard, you might need two running backs. Yeah. How does this team win that. twelve games? What the hell are we doing here? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you know, well, you know, when the season started, I thought they'd win about eight. They they ended up being much better than I thought because Cooper Rush was better than I thought when Dak got hurt, and the defense was much better than I thought they'd be early on. And then when Dak came back, the offense actually. For an offense with not a lot of players, scored more points than I thought they'd score. So right. maybe there's some maybe there's some coaching involved there. Uh, what do you do? No, with, you uh, can't give the. You should know better than that, Josh. You can't give the coaches any credit. <laughs> Kellen Moore was a bomb. Mike McCarthy doesn't know what he's doing. Dan Quinn's overrated. Just, yeah, make that pull out quote. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I will. <laughs> what do you do with uh, Trayvon Diggs? I was having a conversation with someone over there. It was mostly about C.D. Lamb, but it ventured into the Diggs territory. And to me, the guy I'm signing first is Lamb, even if you can put the fifth-year option on him this year and, and have him under contractual control for, for two more years. As good as Diggs is, there's still questions about him, right? Like, and, and maybe it's just things he has to learn to deal with as far as he's not going to be the best tackler, he's not going to be the most physical guy stealing off the run, he's going to be moments where he's going to bite on things. So maybe this is part of what you got to deal with uh, when you have these top corners these days that can take the ball away. But the more sure thing in my mind, if you're going to pay right away, is CD. And do you have – to me, you got to get either one of those guys signed because we've talked about it. They, they, got to be, they have to be more proactive on these contracts than what they've been. So they got to start staggering some of these contracts and some of these deals with their with their guys because again, it, 
draft and develop. It's not draft and just let the guy walk out the building and go somewhere else. Um, I'd probably be patient on digs and wait and see what happens. And if he has a great year again, I can always franchise him in 2024. And I realize that might impact what you're doing with Micah Parsons. But I would, let's say Micah has another great year. Mike is going to be the highest paid defensive player in football. It's something he's going to have to deal with if he has another out, and maybe he's already earned that. Uh, anyway, regardless of even if he has just an okay year in 2023. So I'd probably be more patient on digs, but I would probably go out of my way to sign uh, CD Lamb first because that one might, none of it's easy, but that one might be easier. I get that. I think that's. Uh, I think Diggs is. Uh, I mean, I like Diggs. I really like him, but he got some flaws in his game. Like, dude, I think the question to him is: You want to be good? You want to be great? Uh, and you know, the the answer is okay, whichever one. I just need to know because that determines how much I feel like I want to pay you. And it's not right, but here it, it's not. But it's not his determination whether he wants to be good or great. It's what someone else is going to pay him. So. If the Cowboys just determine he's good and don't want to pay him, someone's going to pay him great if he hits the open market, right? I mean, and that's just – that's the way the ball bounces. That's just, that, that's on you as an organization and the, and the evaluation that you've made on a guy. So, you know, we never, we never tell the Cowboys – we never bring up when the Cowboys do something right, but we always bring it up when they do something wrong. And that will be a decision where – they'll never be right. They'll always be wrong. Like I get, I'll, I'll, I'll say it out loud. I think they were right in getting rid of Amari Cooper. I think they were wrong in how they replaced him. And I think right. that's where people miss the evaluation of, of, well, should they have kept Amari or shouldn't they have kept Amari? If you didn't think he was worth 20 million bucks and it allowed you to keep some other guys, fine. But you had to do more than draft Jalen Tobert in the third round and, and hope Michael Gallup coming back from a major knee surgery was going to be the Michael Gallup you, you knew he could or know he can be, and then add, uh, did I say Tolbert or James Washington? James Washington for agency. Like, you had to do more than that. But, as you just said, Jack, when Dak came back from the thumb injury, the Cowboys led the league in points, points per game. So, shoot, they were doing something without the greatest talent in the world. So. Yeah, But, again, we're, yeah. We're, we're getting back into the coaching, and we know he can't Not say anything out. good about the coaching. Yeah, this this whole conversation is interesting because at some point, is Diggs perhaps going to be the odd man out when you look at, okay, if you're going to keep Dak around, he's not going to get any cheaper. CD is going to be, what, a $23, $24 million wide receiver. Micah Parsons is going to be a $20-plus million defensive player. Can you also then afford to have a fourth dude on your roster? Diggs could rightly point to it and say, look, I'm a top-five cornerback, and I want to be paid top-five, which is 19-and-a-half-plus. Is there a way you can keep four or five guys as these young guys here in the next year or two have to get paid at, at $20 million plus a season? So the, the answer is yes. Because the answer is yes on everything when it comes to the salary cap, right? Like, you, you can do whatever you want to do. If it's you, – you can keep all those guys at every number you just mentioned. It's the question of do you want to and what kind of team you're going to be able to field. That, that's the issue, right? It's not can you because – Right. All these contracts can be made into funny money. I mean, it's it, it's how you want to manage your cap, and I think that's where the Cowboys have been. What would be a good word for it about how they've managed their their judicious? Is that a polite word for it about how they've managed their salary cap? I'm not going to say they're cheap because honestly, 
I semi-believe in how they've approached free agency because I don't think it's about going out and, and spending top-of-the-market money for a guy that you're not convinced is top-of-the-market money. Now, I do think they can do more than what they've done in free agency and adding guys that can then be helpful pieces. Uh, so, so there's that. But they, they can keep everybody they want to keep, and they can extend back. And, and shoot, they could keep Zeke if they wanted to. But again, is that the proper way to manage your salary cap? And the answer is probably no, it's not the right way to go about it. It's hard to let guys like Diggs, who you see the talent, just walk. Like, and this wasn't, when did it change, right? I mean, like they never got in these, I don't want to say never, because that's never the, you don't want to be absolute. They rarely seem to get in these positions back in the 06 to 14 range, say, where they were, they got ahead of the, they got DeMarcus Ware done early. They got Witten done early. They got Terrence Newman done early. They got Marion Barber done early. They got Jay Ratliff done early. They got Romo done early. They, they got all these done, guys done early. Not all of them panned out and, and, and were, were, were the right move. But now the last guy they got done early is Jalen Smith. That one certainly didn't work out, right? At Lael Collins, they got him done early a couple times, CB in that mix too. But um, if you look at it from like Dak's rookie year on, you know, it took Demarcus Lawrence took two franchise tags before they got him done. Dak took two franchise tags before they got him done. Um, I don't know if that's a Cowboys thing or if just the way an approach that has changed among the players and the players' agents that if they're not going to get that they can, they're, they're much more patient. Maybe is a better way of thinking of it or they, or they want everything in their deal. And, and again, on Dak's deal, Dak got everything he wanted. He got all the money he wanted. He got the length of the length of the contract that he wanted. Whereas before the Cowboys would at least they would, Cowboys would gladly give you the cash as long as they had the, the length of the deal. And they're not getting the length on these contracts that they used to get. See, I was going to say, bro, that one reason they used to get all those deals done is in their mind, their mind, they were kind of winning them. So, okay, fine, let's get it done. For the exact reason you said, we'll get the length, get a little more money, it's all good, we like the way this deal is going. But as uh, players have gotten better at negotiating or holding out for what they want or not giving in to the team. Um, now it's up for the Cowboys yeah. to adapt, right? How do they no. turn it around, Absol- right? Absolutely, absolutely. How do you f- – that's a, that's probably the best way to say it because players and, and like, I don't know nah, what the answer bro. to that is. <laughs> I, I don't. Well, I honestly is, don't know the answer to is, that. You know, some of it is how committed the player is. Like Dak was committed to getting what he wanted. I don't know that every player is that Dak committed. Dak was committed to what he wanted after he made the agent switch. Well, that's why he made the right? agent switch. Yeah. Right. Well, someone who got in his ear and told him that this might be a good better thing for you to do than to That's what I mean. Like, than to take this contract. Go, yeah. Go find you an agent who's gonna get what you want and who's not playing ball with the Dallas Cowboys. You know? And that's what he would and, and and then but then you're in a situation where you he got this deal, right? Which all power to him and, and every player deserves to get everything they can get. But now what is the big talking point about the Cowboys this offseason? They got to go get Dak help. Well, it's hard to go get your guy help when he counts forty nine million against the salary cap, right? And now we're hearing 
should Joe Burrow take the, you know, you got the guys, uh, what, was it Chase or, or, uh, Higgins or, or Boyd? Well, one of them up there said, Hey, Joe knows what he's got here and he's not going to take everything. He's going to make sure he can keep his playmakers around. We've heard the same thing now on Jalen Hurt, right? I mean, right. So, there, so while there's, hey, you got what you wanted to get, ultimately, did it cost you a better chance at winning a Super Bowl or, or going farther in the playoffs? I, I don't know. I, no one really knows the answer to that question, but I know the way that it's worked out so far, it that it has cost them a chance to go further in the playoffs. I'm always conflicted about it because, you know, that's, that's for you to draft and develop and do all this other stuff. And uh, it's not on me to work your budget out uh, because as soon as I can't play as well as I have, you'll be, you'll be rid of me. So, you know. Right. I, uh, and I, I agree with everything you're saying. I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate. You don't think DeMarcus Ware had that same conversation or same thought or Terrence Newman or Romo or Witten or, Brady James or any of those guys, I think they saw a value in being here and what that would mean for long term, um, and, and what that meant to their to their lives, if not the next four years. Uh, that's fair. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for that. That's why everybody got to. That's why everybody got to uh, come up with their own decision about how they. Like, got, I remember being. At, I remember being at the combine. Oh boy, when did Tony sign his last contract? Let's say it was 2015. And I had a quarterback coach from, where was he at that point? Washington? I don't know. What, an NFC team. I, I do remember that. Say, just talking to him, he's like, if Tony Romo was on the market, he would be the highest paid quarterback in football. And this is when Peyton was still, obviously, still around and Brady and all these guys. And it was, you know, if Tony hit the open market, he would be the highest paid player in, in, in the game. And not because he's the best player in the game, but because someone was going to go out and do it because they know the value of the quarterback position. And, you know, the way Tony structured his last contract, they couldn't put the tag on him. And he was able to cash in again one more time. So maybe that was that's the better way to do it. But I don't think anybody's looking at what – forget the football, the TV money he's got. I don't think anybody is looking at how Romo's contractual career went and say, oh, man, he, he could have got a lot more money or, or went nowhere or any, you know, any, heck, even Dez, right? I mean, they all, they all got their money and have, have generational wealth, and they were able to stay here and, and be in a position where their contracts never got to the point where they were so out of whack. And I realized they cut Dez and they cut DeMarcus Ware, but they cut them – the D-Ware thing might have been a little strange. But they cut them basically because of production more than cost at, the, at those points in their careers. Yeah, that's true. They did. So it's – oh, Jacques has muted himself. Does he realize that he has? There's no way to know if he knows. <laughs> well, I can he hear you? Next, I think that was No, I wondered. I, I thought – I was like, I, I didn't know if you had a follow-up, and I didn't hear you. Then I checked, and I was like, oh, you <laughs> muted yourself. <laughs> of oh, course yeah. why wouldn't you have well you know that's probably where arch has been talking over me for the last two minutes oh i tell you oh, geez. it's something it's your show i get a segment you get a whole hour yeah you can yeah. do whatever can you I want talk a little bit? jeez man all right todd archer as always man we appreciate it. thanks for hanging for a bit 
I'm, I apologize for talking over Josh. Hopefully he can <laughs> use the next few minutes wisely. We'll see what happens. <laughs> see you guys. All right, see you, man. Thanks. Hi, bro. All right, there he is. That is Todd Archer, our ESPN Cowboys NFL insider. It's it's always good to chat with him and, and hear what he has to say about the Cowboys. And it'll be interesting. I mean, that's the expectation. And that's the thing I think the franchise window always compute, confuses people because it's a, it's a weird deal, the fact that it's open for two weeks. Nobody ever tags the guy, like, right on the 21st. It's always usually right towards March 7th, right towards the end of it. Because, of course, they're trying to work out a long-term deal. They, they, they would rather, in a lot of these cases, have that. And really, the deadline is March 7th. You tag the guy. And we kind of went through the tags before. You know, you have the two franchise tags, the exclusive and the non-exclusive, and then the transition tag, which you don't really see used very much. The one that is the main one that is is used is the non-exclusive franchise tag. And that's the one that would cause another team to have to give you two first round draft picks if they met your offer or what or they offered more and the player went there instead. The exclusive franchise tag in the last 10 years has only been used four times. Who they use it on, do you know? Um off the top of my, I know Von Miller got it and Kirk Cousins. <laughs> I don't know why I laughed, but it's true he did. <laughs> why do you laugh? It's Kirk Cousins, man. What happened to you? You sound like you fell down in a well. Well, I'm trying. I'm trying to make sure I don't talk too close to it, so maybe I got too far away. Oh yeah, I guess so. I was like, God, did your mic fall off again? No, you know, I'm always trying to do what's best for the show, bro. Okay, yeah. I mean, you sound fine now, so I wouldn't worry about it. Oh, okay. I was yeah. trying to think of who the other two were because I know for a fact Von Miller and Kirk Cousins got nailed with the the exclusive, which is by far like again. The exclusive franchise this year for quarterbacks is $45 million. Not bad. The non-exclusive is $32 million. Not bad either. So a little little bit of a difference. (laughs) A little bit of a difference there, which is why. But again, okay, and you're going to see that a lot with Lamar Jackson, the whole idea that, okay, we can give him the non-exclusive tag. It's $32 million. It's 100%. You got to pay it. It's all one year. You can't spread it out. It's not a signing bonus or anything like that. It's all on your cap immediately. But if some other team wants to come in and take them away, then you look at it and you go, okay, well, now you got to give us two first-round draft picks. Dude, I love that, man. Yeah, and that's why I think that there's some thought that I'd be really curious to see if the Ravens non-exclusive tag Lamar Jackson, if another team comes in and and will beat that offer and, and, and on top of that is open to giving up two first rounds to get him. Because Lamar is the only guy I can see out there where that would make sense. But we'll uh, see. No, you're right. I, I'd give up two first rounds for Lamar if I was... Uh... I mean, that's a steep price, but I really only count it as, as one. Yeah, because you'd use path. one to draft a guy like that anyway. Right, and so I'm, I'm trading my pick for Lamar. I'll take that. And then, yeah, you got to give to get. So um, I'll take that other piece. And, you know, to me, it's a, it's a trade worth doing because quarterback's the most valuable position on the board. And, and then you got to pay him, and it's going to be some sort of a massive contract extension on top of that, so who knows. But he's going to be, I think, probably the most interesting one to watch. And as Todd just told us, if the Cowboys use their tag, it will be on Tony Pollard. So we'll see how it wraps up. But that's the podcast for today. Hope you enjoyed it. Keep telling your friends, tweeting out the links, reminding everybody to check out the Jam Session podcast. 
And we will talk to you guys again coming up in a couple of days as we wrap up the week. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.